time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. I like the big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had. We are back. Mm. Back in action. <laughs> what are you snacking on, Chris? I had a um, some Triscuit crackers <laughs> <laughs> that are left in my office. They're stale too. It was not worthy, not a worthwhile snack. Do you but, think you're uh, likely to keep your office? People need to come visit you. Gosh, you know it's going to be. I think a year till COVID's likely to be normalized. Um, my. My preference is yes, but smaller. Like I have this space now and yeah, Neil, I've been thinking a lot about it. I've even been uh, rereading that book, Bullshit Jobs, I think I told you about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is the David Graeber uh, sort of uh, expose on an essay he wrote for Strike Magazine in 2013 on the phenomenon of bullshit jobs. But the, conceptually, I think uh, he goes into this whole idea of you know what what's really necessary i guess um how many layers of middle management are necessary how many you know how much employee supervision is necessary my my team's been working beautifully without me hovering over them or or checking in because i'm nervous right usually when i'm checking on them it's because i'm the one who's concerned or anxious so um, yeah, it's kind of been the remote work has been in some ways um, a relief for me, and I bet a relief for some of the employees. You know that. So, uh, do you think your landlord will adjust rent in order to just try and keep you? Since it's going to be hmm. hard to rent places out like that. Yeah, I think it is. I um, we've approached them for some relief, and they offered us a little temporary thing, kind of like the auto insurance company did like a 15% drop for two months, <laughs> which wasn't much. But, um, They're a very rich union. They should be kind. <laughs> yeah, they are. It's, uh, Neil's alluding to the fact that my building is owned by the Operating Engineers Trust Fund, which um, they definitely operating cranes and forklifts and uh, <laughs> all kinds of advanced equipment. Who knew? It could make the union so wealthy, but they are. They've got deep pockets. But yeah, so they're, they we've had a large tenant move out, and they haven't seemed to be, and I'm sure it's because it's impossible to, <laughs> they haven't seemed to be very um, vigorous about trying to lease that space. Well, I just but, don't know how you lease a big space right now, right? Like, yeah, it's very yeah. rare that that will happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, since COVID, I heard about uh, a company – um, that grew in diagnostics from like zero to 800. But I still figure most of those jobs are remote, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. right? Right. So that's a quick scaling company and everybody's probably working from home. Yeah. Who was that gentleman who was um, with us, the XPRIZE guy from Vancouver? Do you remember him? The X. At, uh, Robert Cooper. He was in the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Chris, some Christian like, something rather. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really found that fascinating. And this is what, four or five years ago? Um, For him to talk about his whole team of 200 people is remote, you know, and they get the best talent from around the world. And I bet certainly in your space in healthcare and 
other areas. They're able to tap into a much richer base of uh, talent. Well, even our good friend uh, Robert Cooper, not Robert Cooper, sorry, John Milne is uh, um, working from home. Right, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. he's not going nearly as much, and he, he's in charge of real estate. And I'm, I'm betting he's thinking like this entire portfolio isn't worth what it was before. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Oh my God, especially hospitals. There's a there's a vertically integrated uh, unit that's going to probably be disassembled. It's already under threat, right, from uh, urgent care and the growth in. Outpatient yeah, but they wanted to. Treatments. They wanted yeah. to because you know when they build one of these hospitals, almost right away, you know they're at mm-hmm. full capacity. They, they <laughs> their place. Mm-hmm. They're saying, "Please disintermediate me." Yeah, help yeah. us with our caseloads. Yeah, and and that. Uh, but if John Milne, who operates such a large real estate portfolio for uh, St. Joseph's, no, hospitals. for um, oh, Providence, 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 yeah, right, yeah, Providence. That's, uh, but isn't St. Joseph in the province? Yeah, it is. I think it's okay. Providence St. Joseph, actually. There we but go. there's so many St. Joe's in <laughs> I have dyslexia. No, no, dyslexia. there's so many St. Joe's in healthcare, you're not sure which one it ever is. That's why I said That's no. true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry, see, I, I don't mean a... to quote John either. So, you know, if you're yeah. John's boss uh, listening into this, we're not we're not quoting anything no, John's no, no, saying. Right. It's all inferences. <laughs> but no, I was just thinking if a, if, if a guy like that in charge of uh, a sprawling portfolio of real estate is not uh, consuming much business travel and may never again, um, even Sean O'Sullivan, who was with us earlier, was saying, you know, I'm in 17 countries or whatever, and I travel endlessly, and now it's been very different. Being well, I, I traveled forty percent of my time, Chris, in twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little, I was, I was near, I was one hundred and seventy days or something in twenty eighteen. One hundred and seventy right? days of travel, and what do you think that will look like when we come out on the other side of this, Neil? Is it forty, fifty? Like, I think I'm going to travel, but even with mm-hmm. New York, I'm way more likely to take a red eye um, mm-hmm. both ways. Like, mm-hmm. do I really need to? sleep a night in a city. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm going to try and pack things together a little better than I ever have before. I mm-hmm. went to San Francisco a couple of times last year, set three meetings left, right? Mm-hmm. Like I stayed in my own bed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably better. I'm going to probably stick to this new strategy of not staying as often. Yeah. Yeah. But the business travel is the main source of profit for the airlines. Um, I was talking to somebody from there from from Alaska today. <laughs> he mm-hmm. was saying that mm-hmm. those seats are now pretty much empty on every flight. Mm-hmm. It's only yeah. the random people who are getting upgraded occasionally that are you know kind of taking those seats. Mm-hmm. So you can sit in business class or first class and be pretty lonely, <laughs> isolated. Still keep your. We flew. <laughs> we flew my mom from uh, DC to Phoenix, um, and we put her in like one A, and we said. You know, board last because we don't want you to get. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's 12 people on the plane. She was the only person in first. Wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. So, I, I mean, you probably tra- traveled uh, 20% of your time, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, probably about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm betting yours is going to go down substantially. I kind of like it. You know, there are some investment conferences online, and I can just choose the topics I want to. But I don't. Oh, I'm not learning as much from some of the conferences online. Right, right, and it and you do miss the conversations where you can get clarity and uh, from even other participants. And again, 
that human interaction and the networking and the meeting of other people with uh, great ideas to share is is certainly missing. But I I, <laughs> I do think a, a better way to do some of the conferences to uh, you know hold some of it online first, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Show up a few mm-hmm. days later, do the sessions that are better off in person, so you get some of that. I I think there's probably a better mix than we've seen so far. Yeah. I mean, maybe they'll be showing it to you in your hotel room. You're like, I actually want to go see that part. Okay, I'll go down. I want to go mm-hmm. talk to people. <laughs> Avoid the convention floor, if you will. Um, so, yeah, I don't. I, I expect to do, you know, maybe 10 to 15% of my time traveling um, going forward. And, I, I, you know, I've been, I've been better about trying to bring people to Seattle versus me going out. So, you know, I think I'm more likely to do more of that. So, like, I want to meet a company. I'm going to say, how about I fly you out and put you up? I don't necessarily need to go see them. Right. That that seems like that might be a better strategy for me. Rather than running to go see everybody. <laughs> That's always a better strategy. Neil. Yeah, but it's not something I thought about before as much. It was right. an idea before. Now it's an actuality. So, mm-hmm. I mean, t- tell me, you know, we were kind of starting to talk about the market mm-hmm. in the beginning of our podcast and, you know, talk to me about, you, you were saying it's the most uninspiring, um, most opaque um, market you've seen in your life and expect to see in the rest of your life. And I was asking you about what you were looking at investing and you were saying, you know, things that are cyclical. Um, yeah, I just um, and you misspoke in airlines because I'm betting you're not investing in airlines at all. No, 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 and that's why it, it, they're in the forefront of my mind, though, a little bit because you know I'm talking about business travel and just looking at their cash flows and saying how are they going to make up for the loss of business travel, and I don't think they can really. Um, I guess the low cost of fuel for now is a bit of a saving grace, but anyway. Um, but yeah, I. Um, it's very confusing, Neil, because in, in some places you have just a, a dumpster fire of poor quality companies that are just um, – <laughs> but yet their stock prices are, are trading high. You have tremendous speculation too, um, you know, like that company Nikola, which has zero revenue um, and reached a stock market valuation of almost $30 billion. And um, that's crazy. They unveiled a drivetrain, <laughs> no completed truck and no orders and no, no prospect of revenue generation, but still the stock price went up. Um, I guess that's a lesson for us all to name your company after Nikola Tesla. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but, you know, that's just pure unadulterated speculation, kind of like uh, the Chinese company I mentioned too, Fang DD which I think Chinese investors must have assumed was a shorthand name for the fangs. Um, You know, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, Amazon, Microsoft should be in there. (laughs) Um, But it seems that that was enough to drive that uh, share price up in four hours um, by over tenfold. So it's pretty remarkable. Uh, So you see this tremendous speculation on the one hand, you see bankrupt companies like Chesapeake and Hertz, of course, rallying. Um, those are old stories, but still, they're very present in my mind. You see a giant fraud like Wirecard, and you have to think, these are not signs of a new bull market. These are signs of market peaks. 
um, the re- revelation of a fraud, the especially large fraud. Is, is that true, like, not just in recent history, but is that true? I mean, I know you're quite the student of, of market history. Is that true mm-hmm. 500 years ago in China as well as markets were peaking, that fraud was more rampant? Yeah, I, um, I don't know about 500 years ago, but, you know, John Kenneth Galbraith uh, was the economics and... Uh, you're far away, by the way. You got to do something back to your microphone. I was going to say that uh, I'm really thinking of uh, John Kenneth Galbraith. He wrote a book. uh, He's a Harvard professor of economics, and he um, wrote several books about the 1929 crash. And um, he wrote a a little handbook, a short history of financial euphoria, which was kind of a follow-on to the uh, extraordinary popular delusions in the madness of crowds. Charles McKay's book that's 180 years old now, but still a very wonderful classic and a great read. But he sort of diagnosed the uh, anatomy of a financial crisis. Um, And part of the euphoria and the peak euphoria, he identified that one of the main characteristics was the revelation of a fraud, of a sort of massive fraud, you know. and um, smaller frauds will be revealed in time, but that's sort of a, one of the characteristics of market peaks. Um, it signifies, too, a big change in belief in the credibility that the markets might have in public companies or at least what's the trading sardine of the day, whether it's tulip bulbs or, or publicly traded stocks. So that definitely seems to be a feature, yeah. Um, it's not an anomaly in this case. Um, and you can think back to all of the the previous bubbles we've lived through, you know, from dot-com mania to the housing bubble, you know, um, the collapse of Lehman Brothers and the revelation of Bernie Madoff um, in that cycle. And the dot-com craze, we had, of course, many contenders. <laughs> but Enron was probably the big one that was the dragon slayer in terms of killing the blue chip stocks. We had a lot of dot-coms that succumbed and had very little revenue or um, even some accounting fraud. Um, but when Enron fell, it took down, you know, the some of the heavyweights with it. It was certainly a sign of the market peak. So this is um, maybe Wirecard is not big enough in our minds. It's a German company, you know, European Union, but it's a pretty big, uh, pretty big deal. Um, we'll see if there are more to follow. Um, usually there's never one roach as the saying goes, right? <laughs> right. You spot one. You I, 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 I flipped a bunch of houses. I know this for a fact. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that career you had in house flipping. Huh? Yeah. And this was in Arizona, Neil? Yes, this was in Maricopa so, County more specifically. Maricopa County. So not only roaches, but you had uh, scorpions to deal with. Uh, you know, we, and, and we just, we got a good exterminator every time and we just use the same gun. <laughs> we never not, not gotten an exterminator actually. Cause right. kind of our goal was to have a house that we'd be happy for our parents to stay in. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And if, if we That's couldn't like... get to that goal, then we didn't want to buy the house. And you love your parents. Yes. That's clear yeah, that yeah. <laughs> yeah. This wasn't spite to get, e- get even my evil step-parents or something. In fact, right. my, my mom and dad right. Right. happy and I wanted them to, you know, I, I couldn't imagine bringing them to a house that I, you know, hey, look at all this work I've done and, you know, and not be something mm-hmm. they'd, they'd be proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the, but this is a, uh, 
this sort of uh, duality of the markets because the <clears throat> you know economic outcomes are probably the worst we've really ever seen, um, even up to and including the the depression. You know this kind of level of unemployment which is persistent. We just saw it this week again. Uh, we were reminded of that, and then our you know like we were saying with Sean the the outcomes here from uh, in in terms of healthcare and and COVID are getting worse, not better. At least uh, I should say the mortality rates seem to be improving, but the caseload is just growing <laughs> so quickly and so rapidly. And, you know, I, I don't pay attention to the public markets as much as you do, obviously, um, mm -hmm. or really at all some weeks. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to me they're only kind of like four safe sectors to invest in healthcare, uh, precious metals, um, venture capital, um, and residential real estate, whatever that looks like, you know, whatever place. Mm -hmm. Are are there other kind of um, still good sectors that are very large that I'm leaving out? Well, define safe for me, Neil. What in your mind is a safe sector? Something that's not going to have crazy volatility because the underlying... Um, and I, not all venture capital counts there too, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But something that's not going to have just random volatility due to the market that's going to have some underlying fundamentals that people need this, are going to recognize they need it, and even with lots of uncertainty are still going to need it. Well, yeah, you're thinking long term. I, I don't know if there is an escape in the public markets, in, in the public equity markets, from volatility. Because once, you know, and we saw this in the 2008 crisis too, um, there was a, a sort of uh, singularity to borrow from the tech world. There was a, a, a correlation of one across all asset classes. I mean, when the when Lehman Brothers was circling the drain, U.S. Treasury bonds, the so-called so safest of safe assets, risk-free, as they call it, gold, um, all those prices collapsed in anticipation of Lehman's failure. And then as things started to reconstitute themselves and set, the dust started to settle, those defensive um, investments in treasuries and gold and things like that took off again, um, sort of regained their balance. But uh, when the knockout punch happens, it seems to knock a lot of assets out, and especially now when we're so over-leveraged across the you know um, industrial landscape and across the financial landscape and in the banks, um, et cetera, and they're carrying lots of leverage in in many different ways through private equity lending, so-called leveraged loans, and um, through CLOs uh, that are sometimes stocked with those loans. So we're seeing in some ways an echo of 2008 in terms of leverage. Um, it's not focused on any uh, one industry as much it was, as it was concentrated in residential real estate. So you're right, Neil, that um, at least now, it certainly seems too we've been underbuilding for a decade and uh, longer in terms of residential housing, that there's a constructive setup there. But I would say still that those stocks are probably going to experience some volatility as all of this shakes out. And I don't disagree with Sean that um, the, the quickest and, and I guess least painful <laughs> way this could happen is for a quick uh, reset, uh, decline in the markets, kind of like we had in March. It was starting to tell us. I mean, um, my measures of market value went from 
about 40% overvalued in February, around February 25th, to only about 7% overvalued um, by the bottom of the um, S&P's journey in about March 26th. So it was a very quick, swift decline, 34% or so peak to trough, but still hovering at uh, historical valuations that were not quite appetizing. Um, and then it's rallied back from there. So, <laughs> so don't ask me to predict anything. No, right, so, right. No, I I understand that. I'm not asking you to predict. I'm just asking how you're yeah. viewing it. Yeah. Well, and uh, so I'm 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 a bit uh, I'm trying to accommodate this uh, this dichotomy that you know we do have um, we're maintaining some defensive positions which we think will be warranted, um, and also dipping a toe into some more cyclical names that we think could benefit, and still thinking long-term. So I do think other areas are transportation, Neil, which you were talking about. You know, um, uh, We've got to move in the goods around the globe, so shipping, and uh, but the most Uber agrees with you. They're going into huh? sh- Uber agrees with you. They're going into shipping. Is that right? Uber... After, after they raised five hundred million for their freight division. Uh huh. Yeah, valuing the freight division at like or four hundred million for their freight division, valuing the freight division alone at five billion. Hmm. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Keep going. No, no. I think that's a that's fascinating. There's an area that's ripe for um, automation too. Long distance hauls, right? We can't quite solve the self driving. Um, the last mile problem close to home, but I think for long haul and on the highways. And uh, you're a former Arizona resident. You know, I've been to Arizona and just seen all of those uh, Waymo and... Uh, I've, funny enough, never seen you know. any of them, even though I've driven around quite as extensively. Yeah, you've got to go on, what is that, the Black Canyon Freeway, the 17? <laughs> yeah, the 17. <laughs> <laughs> That's where they're zipping up and down, north to south, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we're we're cautious, you know. I also think it's sort of ironic that China, of all places, has been a safe haven during this crisis, at least so far. Um, say, also, say that again. I'd say it's a kind of a remarkable turn of events that China has become a sort of safe haven during this financial crisis in terms of investments. But you, you know, kind of predicted that uh, many episodes mm-hmm. ago mm-hmm. that that but would I, become. And, yeah. and, and, and you even had your own, I mean, not that you really talk about it much, but you've been looking at this for a while, for <laughs> before our podcast started thinking about this. Well, again, I think it's that same tug of war between stimulus and the real economy. And the real economy in China, I think, has been soft since 2016. Um, but I also think that China has authored some of the most um, prolific stimulus measures in modern history, I guess we're trying to compete for sure. Our stimulus um, jolt was 12% or so of GDP. And I think the next closest country is Great Britain at 4, 3, 4%, something like that. So we had a massive response relative to the rest of the world. And uh, again, we'll have to see what that means. Uh, there are certainly going to be unintended consequences, right? But um, that certainly helped our market to recover. And, you know, China's never really took a setback like ours. Switzerland, too, by the way, has been a safe haven. 
for those who right. are interested in Swiss equities. <laughs> Nestle. Buy Nestle. Is Nestle, uh, tra- I know it's located there, but isn't it traded on a, the New York Stock Exchange or something? Yeah, there's uh, uh, there are ADRs, uh, American Depository Receipts, that trade there. But still, it's a, really a Swiss company. It's global, but Swiss headquartered. So. I think that's it. We can end the episode here, Chris. Yeah. Why don't well, you so say, uh, why don't you get everybody to give us a rating? Ask nicely. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoyed some of the comments and the conversation we've shared. And if you did enjoy it, please give us a nice comment. <laughs> and a high rating. A lot. And a high rating. A high rating. Yeah, give us a <laughs> That. Give us a very high rating. It, it, it's it's the equivalent of a digital hug now. <laughs> Yes, we need a digital hug with uh, all the distance we've been in. We are social and gregarious creatures, especially Neil. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today, everybody. Thank you, everyone. All opinions expressed by Neil Modi, Chris Idell, and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Soka Capital or Heidel Beal and Associates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions.